Well, have you got Mark chapter 5? Let's begin reading in verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that, he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out, entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil... And had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not. That word suffered means allowed. He allowed not. Uh, allowed him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Father, bless our time together. Open the word of God to our hearts. May we get some lessons from this passage that will challenge our own hearts about what we love to abide in our life and what we abide in. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Pardon me. Where's home? Where is home? If I was to ask you, where's home at? You might give me an address somewhere around Madison, Alabama, or North Alabama at least. And yet, some of you, if I just ask you without this introduction, where's home? Well, you might say up in Virginia. You might say Mississippi, you might say Kentucky, you might say California. It's interesting where we think home is. Now, for instance, you talk to missionaries, you ask some missionaries where's home, and they'd say Madison Baptist Church, Madison, Alabama. You ask some missionaries where's home, and they'll mention the mission field, the mission field that they serve on to them. That's home. It's interesting the different types of thought that people have about that. Now, we, 
We've had, since we've been married for 54 years, we've had our homes in a number of different places, number of different types of dwellings. We started out in an apartment building. Uh, we got married in 1968, and I was working at that time at WTPS, the Portage Station, uh, just outside of Kalamazoo on the south side. We were a rock and roll radio station. And my wife and I lived in an apartment building. I don't remember the name of it, but it was there in Kalamazoo. I don't believe we were in the Portage City Limits, but in Kalamazoo. Uh, so we lived in an apartment there. We've lived in three trailers. We lived in a mobile home when we got saved, in a Vendale mobile home, of all things. For some reason, I still remember that name of that place when we got born again. And then we lived in a mobile home when I was pastoring Pinewood Baptist Church in North Chattanooga. And that was a good size. as a 14-foot-wide mobile home. And uh, gave us just a little bit of room. That was nice. It was right beside the church. And then we lived in a 10 by 35 trailer after one of the parsonages that we lived in burned down or up, however you look at it. Uh, But we lived in that little 10 by 35 thing, which was interesting. We've lived in old houses. We lived in an old house in Otsego. And we lived in an old house when I went to Bible college on the corner of 4th and Lyerly in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and while we were there, that it was a big house. It was a big old house, had a nice big porch on the front, had a big basement down below that flooded out whenever a super big rain would come. Uh, we had so much rain one time that it actually came up to just a step or two within, before it would have gotten into the kitchen. Uh, we didn't live there, but simply a year or two, but, and that was it. But uh, it was one of those homes, although it seemed like a decent-sized home, there were really only four rooms. There was a kitchen, there was a living room, there, was, there were two bedrooms, and uh, you don't count a bathroom as one of those. And the bathroom, we didn't have a shower. We had one of those bathtubs that sat on four legs and with the mushrooms growing underneath it. had a nice harvest of mushrooms underneath that bathtub. Um, so, I mean, we've lived in so many different places. We lived in parsonages. We lived in a couple while we were uh, in uh, Manchester. We lived in a parsonage, actually two different parsonages, because the one burned down when we were living at Tennessee Ridge. And uh, we've lived in a couple of different homes here. I-, I think one of the homes that really has a lot of the happiest memories, we weren't in it very long. It was the first one that we had built in Otsego, Michigan. It was about 1,200 square feet on the one floor, had a full basement, it was three-bedroom rancher, and we had that built for the gigantic cost of $25,000. That doesn't seem like anything today, does it? But that really was quite a bit of money back in 1972. And uh, we moved into it, lived in it only about four months. God called me to preach, and then we put it up for sale right away, sold it for $25,000. So we we didn't make anything off of it. Uh, we just got out from underneath it, sold it to some neighbors uh, that uh, were not too far away. And so uh, they bought the house. We moved down to Chattanooga, Tennessee. We lived in an apartment again. That's where we started off in Chattanooga. On Manna Lane. What an address for a Christian. On Manna Lane in East Ridge, Tennessee. Did you ever have to... You go down there and roust anybody out of those apartments, Brother Nelson? Yeah, he remembers it. He remembers Man Lane. And I got some stories I could tell about that, but we'd never get through the message. Um, but what made them so special, and what made that particular house in Otsego so special, is that finally we had brought Jesus into our home, uh, and we were living for the Lord and excited about God. 
And of course, it's while we were living there that God called me to preach. So that's what made that so excited. In the story we read uh, just a moment ago, it's about a man who saw a dramatic change in where he made his home. Because he was making his home at the time we get into the story in the cemetery around the uh, Decapolis. That's the uh, area of 10 cities, Decapolis, Deca being 10, Polis being the cities. And uh, he was wild. It was wild. He was not a happy camper. I mean, people tried to calm him down and they couldn't call him da- calm him down. You know, I read passages like this in the book of uh, in any of the gospel accounts. And of course, the psychology world, the psychiatric world, everything is a disease. Everything. Matter of fact, we've got an alphabet soup full of diseases today from ADD to you just name it. And all they end up becoming is simply excuses for bad behavior. Bad behavior. I don't know what physical problems this guy may have had, but I know the spiritual problem that he had. He was demon possessed. Do you realize people do get demon possessed today? Demons are real. They're in the book. Jesus cast demons out of people. He did that. It's in the book. All right. Demons didn't go away in 100 AD and they didn't go away when psychology got involved in everything else. There are a lot of people, unfortunately, that are on pills to simply mask bad symptoms instead of dealing with the real problem. Now, I'm not going into individuals or individual problems. I'm not telling anyone here to get off your meds. We'd be scared if you got off your meds. So you do that, you go see a doctor and all that, that that's fine. But I got news for you. There's a whole lot of people whose problems, whose real problem is not being dealt with at all. Jesus deals with this man's real problem. It was a spiritual problem as Jesus comes on the scene. Now, when you think about the context of this, back in chapter 4, the disciples had just crossed the Sea of Galilee. And you remember a great storm came up and they thought they were going to perish and Jesus was asleep in the boat. And they woke him up and he, after rebuking the disciples for being of little faith, he then calmed the sea by simply saying, peace be still, and it was calm. When they arrived at the land, they found another storm. But that storm was in the heart and soul of this man among the cemetery. People had tried all that they could to at least keep the man from doing damage to anyone else, I doubt that they were all that worried about him. Uh, But then Jesus comes on the scene. And that raging storm in the breast of this man ends up getting taken care of. And the man is found sitting, clothed, and the Bible says, in his right mind. Now, I just happen to think about this. You know, all those pictures that you may see of the spring breakers, Those pictures kind of remind you of this man going through the cemeteries. They're unclothed and not in their right minds. They're nuts and they don't even realize it because they're without Christ. This man, of course, was without Christ. People had tried everything to calm him down. They could not. They tried the restraints and nothing seemed to work. Now, here in the story, this man changed his home and when it changed was after the meeting with Jesus Christ. Notice some things. First of all, the man made his first home here in the cemetery. Look at verse 3. It says, Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he'd been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man 
tame him. Uh, it's interesting. Here he is. He's full of demons and he's in the cemetery. The preoccupation with death. Man, that's what the devil's all about. Jesus said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The cemetery always speaks of the past. Look at every, look at every tombstone. Talks about somebody who's now gone. It looks back to the past. And their lives are all summed up the same way with a dash between the birth date and the death date. Unfortunately, too many people leave, and that's the only thing that can be said about them, is that there was a birth date, there was a death date, and their life is summed up with a dash. It didn't matter a bit. Jesus would give this man a future. He would give this man a purpose. The cemetery speaks of despair and fading memories. No earthly future at all for him, it would seem. So the man had an unclean spirit. Matter of fact, more than one. Uh, it affected his thoughts, his words, and his deeds. He was an outcast. He was a violent man. You know, there's got to be a lot more demonism going on in the United States than we think because that pretty much describes the tenor of every major city in this country. And you wonder, what, what is wrong with people? What is going on with these people? Have they lost their mind? Well, they've lost something. That's to be sure. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Today, from drugs to understanding, we thought we'd help ourselves out, didn't we, when we voted in marijuana. I say we because everybody gets credit for it, whether you voted for it or not. It came in. Legalizing marijuana. And now, just in the last six months, there have been a bunch of articles talking about the effects of marijuana upon especially the younger adults who have been taking it. And they're not good effects. They're bad effects. And why would that be a surprise to anybody? Why would it? We knew that. We knew that it affected people. That's all we need. We've got enough trouble with drunks on the road. Now you've got people high on drugs on the road too. Which only creates more death, more sorrow, no, more heartache, and all of that. So... They make people make their homes in the bars and on the internet and in the refrigerator in front of the TV. They got no life going for themselves. And people get lost in a whole lot of different things because life has no meaning to them. They're like this man in the cemetery. Well, the demons, they had a home. They made their home with this man and in this man. You look at verse 6 and the scripture says, And when he saw Jesus afar off, this is interesting, he ran... And worshipped him. Sometimes you read the word he in here. And it's obviously referring to the man. And other times you read it and it seems to be referring to the demons. For notice. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. And he said unto him, Come out of this man, thou unclean spirit. So according to Jesus, it was the unclean spirit that was talking to Jesus. You notice the devil knows who Jesus is. The devil knows that he is the Son of God. And his demons know that he is the Son of God. And they are subject unto him. This man, now, was he led by the devils to run and fall down before Jesus to worship him? 
Or did he do that on his own? You know, the Bible doesn't make that really clear to us. We know who's talking according to what Jesus says. He recognizes that. So perhaps the man was running to Jesus, even though tormented by the devils, and with the, even the devils gave, giving a witness as to who Jesus really is. He ran and he worshiped him. Was he recognizing his need? It's possible. Bible's not clear on that. You might surmise one or the other, that perhaps he was recognizing his need, and during this time, he's fighting the devils that are within him. Or the devil, devils simply had no choice, for here is the one who is the Messiah, the one that came to die for our sins, to be buried, and to be raised three days later from the dead. Here's a man that no doubt, he's not just in trouble from the demons. This is a man at this point who is lost, and here's the Savior that came to call the sinners, not the righteous, to repentance. That's the thing. You've got to recognize yourself as a sinner before you can even be saved. You, you're not going to come to Christ. You see the Lord's authority over the demons to come out of the man, and he asked him, what's your name? He said, Legion. Now, that would be the spokesman for him. Now, here's something we know about demons. You can't trust demons to always tell the truth because, after all, the devil is the father of lies. That's who he is. So he said legion. Well, the Roman legion would be 6,000. Uh, is it possible that this was a smaller legion? A different total is being referred to because when they get cast out, they go into the pigs, and we know this, there were over 2,000 pigs. But that doesn't mean, I mean, let's face it, if 2,000 demons could be in the man, then only having uh, one demon per pig is not necessary. There may have been more than that. I don't think that that's being told to us so we would know the exact amount of demons that could be in this individual. But basically it's this, he was under their control. A lot of people in the psychiatrist's office with spiritual problems, not problems that need a pill, not mental problems. There are a lot of people on emotion drugs, not physical, but spiritual problem is their need that must be taken care of. Too many of those drugs do nothing but take care of symptoms. They put the symptoms down, and as soon as they stop taking their meds, they go crazy. There's an awful lot of these mass killings that have taken place within six weeks after a person has gone on antidepressants or six weeks after they've come off them. Now, that's just a fact. These things have a tremendous impact on people. Of course, we're looking for some kind of right-wing or left-wing nut job that that's the cause. I doubt it. I mean, isn't it interesting that most all these medications, especially the antidepressants, uh, one, of the, one of the side effects of an antidepressant is depression and suicide. I thought that was supposed to cure that, but it doesn't cure it. It's kind of like a vaccine that doesn't keep you from getting the disease. Anyway, that was extra. I just happened to think of that. Verses 11 through 13, notice what takes place. Now there was there nigh under the mountains a great herd of swine feeding and all the devils. But by the way, is there a problem with that? You ham eaters, is there a problem with this? 
There's no doubt money in it, but see, that's not the problem. The Jews weren't, it, you understand, pigs were an unclean animal to the Jews. What are these people doing making their money off something God told them that they weren't even to touch, to eat? And this is their livelihood. By the way, didn't Jesus know what would happen if those demons went into those pigs? Oh, he did, and he put them in there anyway. Peter's not going to like that one. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. Why? Because demons desire a body. It's one of the things we get from Scripture. Forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out, entered into the swine. The herd ran violently down a steep place. Remember, the demons had caused the man, when they were in him, to be very violent in all of his nature. So it shouldn't shock us that when they go into the, into the swine here, that they ran violently down into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled, told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see that uh, what was done. Now, this is a spectacle. CNN is out there now, and even Fox News has showed up to find out what happened to these pigs. It's big news. They come out. Notice what they find when they come out there. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind and underline this. And they were afraid. Does that not seem strange? They were afraid. The change was so dramatic in this man, they were afraid. They should have been shouting glory for the cure. Instead, they were afraid. The change was so great. His looks were great. His speech was differently great. There was a great change in his speech. Let me put it that way. A great change in his looks. Great change in his whole being. Because Christ makes a change. You've heard me quote many times 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When Jesus saved me, he changed me. There are some people that are wanting the sinner to make a change before they can get saved. But that doesn't work like that. You see, it's not restoration that saves. You have to repent of what you're trusting and trust Jesus alone. And when you trust him, the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives within you. You are born again. He now resides in you, and there is a great change that is made in your life. If there's no change, it's because there was no salvation. You say, well, I heard the person pray, and they prayed all the right words. But it's not what comes out of their mouth that saves them. It's what's in their heart. They've got to believe right. They've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The point is, when he saves a person, he changes them. I do not believe in a work salvation, but even John the Baptist, when people were coming to him, he said, you need to bring forth works, meet for repentance. Show me that you've really repented. Show me there's a difference. Now, we obviously see the difference in this man. He was not saved by the difference. He got saved And Jesus made the difference. 
When I got saved, one of the things, I've said this many times, one of the things he cleaned up immediately was my mouth. I had a foul mouth, I had a cursing mouth. Now, there's a lot of things I didn't do that a lot of other lost people did. I mean, after all, I, I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I was faithful to my wife. I mean, I tried to be good to people, but I did have a foul mouth. And I'll tell you, he cleaned that up right away. I never had to hear a message against swearing or cursing. He cleaned it up. He makes you different. And anybody who's gotten saved, now I realize you take a five or six-year-old getting saved, he may not remember the dramatic change in his life, but I'll guarantee you there was one. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Unfortunately today, we see way too many people that supposedly make a profession of faith, but they continue on in their covetousness, in their fornication, in wickedness. I mean, there's something wrong with that. When I got saved, I had a desire to be in the book. When I got saved, I had a desire to be with God's people. Bible says we know we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We don't despise the brethren. We love the brethren. When we get saved, he makes that difference in us. So the man is sitting. He's calm. He's clothed, modest. He's uh, right. No more destruction. No more running and screaming. This kind of freedom is based on the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. Now, The people didn't want Jesus to make his home with them. Now notice what it says in verse 17. And then they began to pray him, speaking about Jesus, to depart out of their coast. Says similar thing, but the same meaning in Luke's account of this same event. Here they see this man who had troubled them greatly, who had created fear in their lives. Now here he is sitting and clothed in his right mind talking to Jesus, and they go over to Jesus and say, you need to get out of here. This scares us. There's a problem with you. Really? Really? And it's funny, people don't say that about the bartender. They don't say that about the strip joint. They don't say that about any of those other places of ill repute and the wickedness that goes on, for instance, just at the movie house and the things that they glorify that are wicked and wrong. They don't say anything about that, but they don't want the church around because it scares them. They're afraid. I mean, this isn't natural. No, it's not. It is supernatural. That's the kind of change that Jesus Christ makes in people. The reality is for these people, the swine meant more than their sanity. Pigs meant more than peace, and their hogs meant more than heaven. Money meant more than man, because that's all the pigs were to these people who were hurting the pigs. It was their money. Jesus granted their request, and he departed. But that man went out and told everybody the wonderful things that God had done, that Jesus had done, so that the next time that Jesus comes back, there was the multitudes were so great, Jesus had to, had to go aside where he could deal with the people outside. There were so many coming around. Someone wrote a letter to a city newspaper editor that was, that was asking God 
uh, was, was asking uh, this question to the public that was out there. Where was God when these school shootings took place? And somebody wrote back again the next day and answered, you forgot you kicked him out of the schools. You didn't want him there. We didn't have all that problem when he was in the schools and he was honored with morning prayer and the scripture was read. We didn't have that problem. Back then, it was not uncommon to drive through the parking lot and see rifles hanging in the back window of the pickup trucks. No one thought a thing about it. It was not a problem when God was honored and glorified. But now we have a major problem, don't we? Because we didn't want God to have anything to do with any part of our lives. The delivered man wanted to stay with Jesus in verse 18. He wanted to stay. But you know, God doesn't give the call to everybody to be out there and ministering in that way. But this man, he is told to go out and tell the wonderful things that had been done to him. And he goes out and he tells everybody. And the reality is he ends up bringing more people to Jesus than the disciples did. The woman at the well, here she was, a harlot, and she ends up bringing more men to Christ than the disciples did. They'd just been in the city of Sychar. They didn't bring anybody back with them. She goes in and says, Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And the whole city comes out to see him. What a difference Jesus makes in a life. I got saved in 1971, 51 years ago. I've wanted to stay with Jesus. Now with Jesus... That doesn't protect you from frustrations, doesn't protect you from persecutions, doesn't keep you out of the storms, but it does keep you with Jesus. Amazing how many people don't want the change that Jesus makes. He changed my habits, he changed my haunts, he changed my home. I don't know why everybody doesn't want him, except before I got saved, I remember I didn't want anything to do with him either. Before I got saved, I mean, I told jokes about Jesus that I am totally ashamed of to even think of them again. But I was lost. And I received, as Paul said, I received forgiveness because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. That's where I was. But hallelujah, he saved me. And I can't think, listen, First 22 years of my life, I didn't know him. Next two and a half years of growth, and then God called me to preach. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Just to be able to serve Jesus with my life. Hallelujah. Can't think of anything better. Unless it's a layman who's faithfully serving Jesus. Because unfortunately, sometimes we get this idea that only the pastors and the missionaries serve Christ. No, if you don't have good godly laymen, you're not going to see much happen for the glory of God. And thank God I have had the privilege of being the pastor of a great number of godly Christian men and women who have made a difference in a lot of lives. Well, anyway, the man went home a different person. Look, notice verses 19 and 20. Howbeit Jesus suffered him, uh, let's say, suffered him not... 
But saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed, began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. He's not running in the tombs now. He's not screaming in agony and scaring people. Before, the people marveled when he was as wicked as he was. Now they marvel at his talking about Christ. When Christ makes a change in your life, the reality is people should notice. I remember after getting saved, we made a trip down to Sturgis, Michigan. My mom, uh, shortly after we got married, and we were lost when we got married, but shortly after we got married, my mom married her third husband, and her third husband was the proprietor at the bowling alley. We were a bowling family, and so we went down to Sturgis to see her and uh, see some of the family that we had in Sturgis, went over to the bowling alley. I went up to the counter of the bowling alley, and uh, a guy came up beside me who had gone to school with me. His last name was Todd. And he said, well, Mike Allison, you old blankety-blank, blankety-blank, said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. He gave me eternal life, and he's called me to preach. And the guy looked at me, Looked the other way and just walked away. That was strange to him. That was strange. I doubt anyone had ever said anything like that to him at all. Now, you notice the results of his witness, by the way, of this man's witness. Go over to Luke chapter 8 and look at verse 40. Luke's chapter 8 and verse 40. It says, and it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him for they were, now look at this, they were all waiting for him. That did not come because of his disciples' testimony. That became of this man who'd been running in the cemeteries and met Jesus and his life was changed. It was because of his testimony. Well, what could he have to say that would influence just regular door-to-door people, day-to-day people? Uh, Listen, if you've been saved, you've got something to say that can have an impact on a multitude. It's just how badly do you want others to know what Jesus has done in your life? It didn't take long for everyone to know that Jesus had changed my life. It was obviously different just by cleaning up my mouth. They knew what to expect when I talked, and when that stopped happening, it made a big difference. Here is the Christian life, abiding in Jesus. This man is excited about what Christ has done. He has sat with him. Now he goes out and he tells everybody, and it makes a difference. We had some testimonies a little bit ago before the message started. We did some testimonies of just being thankful to the Lord. There's not an easier place to do that than right here. The Bible says the Lord is greatly to be praised in the assembly of his saints. But this is not the only place that we're called, called to praise him. The Bible says praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. You see, whether it's in the sanctuary or out in the firmament, doesn't make any difference. 
We're to have a life of praising our great God. The truth is, Christ is the one and the only one who can make this kind of a difference in the lives of people. We've got so much to praise Him and thank Him for. Tomorrow, when you are at the house, if you're at the house with family and eating, or just enjoying the goodness of God together, uh, remember to take time to praise Him for what He has done in your life. Let's pray. Father... We come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm glad that you came to save sinners. And I'm so glad that you saved me, a sinner that deserved hell, that deserved to burn forever in the lake of fire. Thank God you saved me. Lord God, please, tonight, may we think about that when we lay down, before we go to sleep, about what you did in our lives. May we praise you as we lay in the bed. And when we get up in the morning, may the first thought in our hearts be, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the life you've given me now in Christ Jesus. We'll praise you for it all, Lord. Keep our people safe, we ask. Bless our families who are hurting, we ask. In Jesus' name.